Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. We're in the second week of Kingdom Builders. I love preaching this way. If you've been around our church very long, I'm pretty easy to follow along. I'll be honest with you. If you've been coming to church here for a year or more, uh, you're going to hear the same themes year after year after year. Uh, and it's because not because I preach the same thing to you. I don't. But, but because we take the same turns and twists in our calendar year. I actually am working on my preaching calendar for next year. And all of you, where's all my spur of the moment kind of impulsive people? Where are you all at? Y- y'all just got here, so I'm, you're easy to spot. <laughs> you're going to be late to the 1130. You know what I mean? Those are the kind of people. But um, I'm a planner, so I, I, it, why would I wait for the Holy Spirit to speak to me in January? He can talk to me right now about what I'm preaching in January. And so... I plan my preaching calendar months and months out, and every October, almost every October, we kind of take a turn towards what we call a make a difference kind of series, a series that really directs your attention towards the lost. I think Jesus is most concerned with lost people. He loves you. He loves saved people. He loves church. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride, but his attention is on lost people. Luke 15 gives the heart of of God. Jesus tells three parables all about lost things. A lost son, a lost coin, a lost sheep. He's always distracted by lost things. He doesn't tell a parable about the son that stays. He tells a parable about the son that leaves. He doesn't tell a parable about all the coins he has. He tells a parable about the coin he lost. He's always not in 99 sheep, in one sheep that gets out of the fold and he's lost. Are you with me, everybody? So our whole attention sort of turns that way, and I do it on purpose. I'm not, I'm not sneaking up on you. It's because in, in four weeks, I want you to bring as many people as you possibly can to church with you to At The Movies. We see more people say yes to Jesus during At The Movies than any other series I do all year long. And every single week, I'm going to give you the gospel in the most compelling, clear way I know how. And I want you to bring people who are far from God. So i gotta, I got to get our attention off of us and on to others. We've been using this verse. Last week I gave you this verse as our theme verse, Jesus. And what we would call the Lord's Prayer taught us to pray like this in Luke 11 and 2. He said, so he said to them, Jesus is answering the question when the disciples said, teach us to pray. So he said to them, when you pray, say. Now look, if you grew up in a religious tradition that recites the Lord's Prayer, I don't think that's wrong, okay? I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to tear down that that's, and maybe you connect with God in that way. But when Jesus says, when you pray, say, he doesn't mean repeat after me. Okay, this isn't Simon says. He means I'm going to give you a framework that your prayer life should have. Every time you pray, you should pray with this framework in what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's supposed to be our prayer, right? Our prayer should should go in this framework, and it starts like this. Our Father in heaven... If you're King James, where's all my King James people at? Yeah, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed. I don't even know why it's hallowed, you know. And blessed. All the EDs are. Hallowed be thy name. All the thys and thous. And hallowed be your name. And then listen, here's the part that people get wrong. When we pray, it's okay. You, you sit down and you think, man, I want to thank God. And I want to start with that. God, I'm grateful, and God, you've been good to me, and you're my father, and I re- you relate to God uh, as, uh, as your father, and then you worship God. Hallowed be your names. You worship the names of the Lord. But then if you're like me, the next thing you do is 
okay, God, I need some stuff. <laughs> now that I got your attention, I need some stuff. I need, I need this fix and this fix and this fix and this fix. And oh, by the way, God, why this and why that and why this? And then before long, I've whined for about 20 minutes. And I, I mean, I started my prayer correctly, but I've, I've jumped right into my stuff. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first request that Jesus taught us to pray of the Father is, I want your kingdom to come. I want the kingdom of God to come in my life. I'm going to be honest with you. As the days that you and I are living in, as they get darker and darker, and the end of time approaches, somebody asked me, how close are we to the end of the world? I don't know, but we're closer than we were yesterday. Are these the last days? I don't know. These are our only days, so we might as well spend them doing what God's called us to do, right? So it doesn't matter whether they're the last days. They're my last days, and i got to get on mission doing something for God. So when you pray, you don't pray, God, give me all my stuff. God said, the first thing I want you to ask me for is kingdom. God, I need kingdom in my life. God, I want, I want to be a kingdom builder in my life. And so last week we started this series about building the kingdom of God. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to continue to introduce you to ways to be a kingdom builder. Today, if you're taking notes, I want to help you find your place in the kingdom. If you're taking notes, that's what I'll call this message today. All Christians take notes in church. All sinners don't, so just decide where you are. If you were in or <laughs> I say that every week till y'all start taking notes. I'm just going to be... Uh, if you were an Orthodox Jew, you would celebrate this is the season of High Holy Feasts. Uh, we actually just uh, came out of the season of Tabernacles and uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Another High Holy Day you know of around Easter season for a Christian is Passover. And if you were set at uh, a Jewish Passover table, uh, there would be an order to it. God has order to worship. Say amen to that. And there would be an order to how you uh, uh, took the meal and what was on the table. On a Jewish Passover table, there are four cups of wine. And every time you drink from one of the cups, God gives Moses an instruction in Exodus 6, if you want to start flipping there in your Bible, He gives Moses an instruction about what you say at the Passover meal. And uh, uh, an Orthodox Jewish person would call these the I wills. They're really a covenant between God and his people, that this is the plan that God has for your life. Now, I think this is the first time God shows up with this plan, but I don't think it's the last time. As a matter of fact, I see this plan all throughout the Bible. I think every New Testament Christian, this is the plan of God. I don't think God just had one idea and then said, well, that didn't work. I'll try something else. We'll do it a different way. Or I'll abandon that and uh, or that. Or maybe you think, well, that's Old Testament. I don't, that, You know, we're New Testament Christians. But Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill everything that that law means. So when you read your Old Testament, I want you to think, how is Jesus fulfilling this in my life? Now, that's the backdrop for Exodus 6. These are the four I wills that you would drink as you took a cup of wine off the table. Exodus 6 and 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites... This is Moses, God's telling Moses what to say. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Here's the first one. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This people, this race of people, this culture of people 
have been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, not the destiny God had for them. God always had a different plan for them, but they had become institutionalized as slaves. And so God has to convince them, I've got a bigger plan for your life. Let me pause here, look into my eyes, let me tell you. If you're not careful, you'll live such beneath the destiny God has for you, you'll start thinking this is all that life's supposed to be about. There was not one generation that was alive at the, at the Passover that was alive when they went into captivity. They had all died. They had just heard stories about freedom. And maybe you know what that's like to hear stories about making a difference and a fulfilled life and your life really having meaning. But you start thinking to yourself, well, I guess this is it. 400 years of slavery and this is all they got. So God has to sort of get that out of them. And he tells Moses, you tell them, I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the first cup. The first cup of wine on a Jewish Passover table It's called the cup of salvation. And you drink from that cup of wine. Here's the second one. He said, I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the, if you're underlining in your Bible, that's the second I will. Now, wait a minute. In the first I will, he said, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The second I will, he said, I'm going to free you from being slaves to them. It sounds a lot like the first. Why would, why would he say the same thing twice? Listen to me. It's not the same thing. I've met a lot of people who are saved and still in captivity. I've met a lot of people, maybe, I've met a lot of Christians in church life who are out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't get out of them. That, that their lives are transformed by the power of God for eternity, but their lives tr- are not transformed internally. They're still captive, they're still captive to the way. I, they know how to be slaves, they don't know how to be free. And so God says, not only am I going to bring you out, but I'm going to free you from that slave mentality from them. The third I will, so you drink from that second cup. That second cup is called the cup of deliverance. We call it the cup of freedom here. And I want want you to find freedom in your life. I'll free you from being slaves. Here's the third one. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is called the cup of redemption. To redeem something means to return it to its original purpose. God says, I didn't make you to be a slave to the Egyptians all your life. That's not the covenant I made with your father Abraham. I I, I want you to be a blessed nation. I want you to be in a promised land. That's what I called Abram out of is is this place in Babylon. I called him out into this promised land of Canaan, and you got off track, and now you spent hundreds of years in slavery, but I don't want you to be that. I want you to be something else. I want to redeem you, and I'll do it with a mighty hand and with outstretched arms and with a mighty act of judgment. And here's the part I want you to get to. He said, I'll take you as my own people. I'll take you as my own people. Underline that in your Bible. I will be your God. That's the third cup is the cup of redemption. The fourth cup is the cup of praise. It's actually in Hebrew, it's called the cup of halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah from. It's the cup of praise. It's praise to God. I actually think a a better translation than praise is the cup of fulfillment. It's more than just a party. Let's be honest, after four cups of wine, it's a party. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm going to do that. I'm I'm in on that. Passover, let's do that. The cup of praise is not just, oh, man, thank God for what he did. No, the cup of praise is now I'm the people of God. 
Now the covenant of God's been made that we're the people of God together. God said, then I'm going to take you as my own people. And then I will be your God. And then, everybody say then. Say then. After you decide to be the people of God. After you decide to drink from that cup of fulfillment. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Then you'll know. Then you'll know. I'll take you as my own people. Um, COVID years are like dog years. You know what I mean? So it's only been three years ago, but it feels like 34, 35 years. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's hard to remember life outside of weird things. And um, But when COVID first struck in March of 2020, I remember we were meeting in a movie theater as a church, and we had never broadcast from that movie theater. It was impossible to get a signal to broadcast out of that uh, building, and so they shut down our movie theater. By the way, side note, I'm praying they shut it down again because God's going to give it to us for our church in Jesus' name. So that's just a side note. When you pray, pray they go bankrupt and give us their building. But I'm not playing with y'all. I've already, I've, I already prayed a bunch of bad things in here. I can do this. So anyway, so we were meeting a movie theater, and, um, and we'd never had online ministry because we couldn't broadcast out of that building. And, uh, and so I remember sitting down with our very small staff at the time and just saying, man, what are we going to do? And, and I have to at least say something before this weekend. We were the only church in Bernie that was open March the 15th because um, uh, we were dumb and, you know, we didn't have anything to lose. And so we were the only church open uh, that Sunday. And then, and then I put out a video, and I looked right in the camera, and, and I meant this with all of my heart, but I looked right in the camera, and I said, we don't have to meet as a building, you know, you don't need a building to have church, you're the church. I looked at the camera, I pointed my finger, I remember, you're the church. And I had the right motive, I mean, I, I, I appreciate your forgiving there, but I got to be honest with you, very quickly, because I, I was one of the guys that believed like it was going to be 15 days, and we were getting back, and then, you know, it wasn't, and then, and then it was months and years, and anyway, so... Uh, and we we couldn't meet, and it was just it was bad. But man, I just kept saying, "You're the church, you're the church." And a few months afterwards, I realized I was doing you a disservice because here's the truth of the matter. Listen to me: you aren't the church. You aren't the church. You aren't the church. You can't be, because anytime God would speak about the church, He never uses singular language. You and you and you are the church. Jesus said where two or three get together in my... He didn't say, if one person just shows up, I guess I'll show up. God said, no, 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 I need you to, I need you to get with people. It's always been about grouping. It's always... Write it down like this. God said, I'm going to take you as my own people. Write this down. God doesn't promise to make you a fulfilled person. He promises to make you a fulfilled people. And some Christians spend their whole life trying to be a fulfilled person. Well, God, I don't understand my purpose. God, I need my purpose. God, show me. The number one question I get in decades, two decades of ministry is, what's, I, I, I need to know my purpose. I want to know my purpose. What am I supposed to do with my life? Pastor, help me to find the will of God for my life. And here's the truth of the matter. You will never find fulfillment by yourself. God never promised to fulfill you by yourself. He promised to fulfill you when you got together with other people. He didn't say, I'll take you as my one person and I'll be your God. He said, I'm going to take you as my 
people and I'll be your God. Ultimate fulfillment in your life comes when you're on a team of people who are pushing the same way, believe the same things, have vision for the same things, and they want to make a difference together. Say amen to that. This is the teaching part, so if you get bored with that, you can take about a 10-minute nap, and then I'll wake you up when I'm done, okay? But in researching for this message, I began to read a psychologist uh, who developed a theory in 1943. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow was a psychologist who said that people are searching for meaning in their life, and I think that they are. I think uh, science and God's Word agree about that. It's the ultimate thing people want. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. It's the thing that drives people to darkness in their life when they feel like they don't have purpose and have no meaning and don't know what to do with their life. And so Maslow created what he called the hierarchy of needs. He said that everybody has needs, and once those needs are met, you know, we're motivated. There's actions that motivate us to more. And at the end of this hierarchy, it starts really basic. And at the end of that hierarchy, you'd find the meaning of Life And so he identified seven needs. I didn't put them on the screen, but if you're a nerd and you want to take notes, you can write these down. All the nerds unite. Where's all my nerds at? Where you? Yeah, there you are. Again, easy to spot. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding a little bit. Uh, number The first one, the, the first one uh, this is the most basic need in Maslow's uh, uh, hierarchy of needs. The most basic, uh, basic is physical needs. Physical needs, right? You have the need for air. You have the need for food. You have the need for shelter. You have the need for warmth. You have the need for sleep. You have this, this physical needs. I just need to take care. I, I, he didn't say this, but, I, but in Texas, brisket is on this one. Okay, everybody, it's this. It's that I can't live without it. Are you with me, everybody? You just, I got to have it. So I'm, I'm this, this physical needs, my physical needs are met. And once those are met, then you're motivated to go to the next uh, uh, set of needs. These are called safety needs, what Maslow called safety needs. It's the need to feel protection from the elements. Uh, you build yourself a little a little hut to live in. You know, it's security. It's, it's law and order. It's limits. It's stability. People need boundaries. Let me pause here and talk to parents. Boundaries are what your kids need the most. It's, it's the most, it's the second basic needs from their, from psychology. God designed them such that after you feed them and clothe them and shelter them, they need boundaries. Say amen to that, everybody. So that it's, it's safety. The third one is love. It's third one's love. This is for all the 20-somethings that think that's the highest, <laughs> the, the thing that you need the most in your life. Listen, love's only two steps away from brisket. All right, everybody? Like, <laughs> come on. You can live without a dude or a girl, you know, but once you get safety, then it's love. And I need, I need family and belonging and affection and relationships and date nights and stuff. I need love and and then the next one, the fourth one, he said, was esteem. Now, again, I want you to see this in your mind. You're moving up this basic needs, this hierarchy of needs. These are the most basic things I have to have to survive. And I'm moving towards meaning. Are you with me, everybody? Are you with me, everybody? All right, I'm moving towards meaning. The next one's esteem, that you need to feel recognized and complimented. And all the men in the room, come on, when I... When I leave the cave and go club something, bring it home for dinner, I want you to say, boo, that's good. That's Right? Are you with me? I need, you need, it, when, ladies, when you get your hair done, he has to notice. Notice. Make it. Let me give you a little. This is not a marriage message, but I'm just going to help you on this. About every four to six weeks, just compliment her hair. It's a good chance she got it done. 
If it's been a few months, just go, did you get your hair? You may land on a gold mine. You know what I mean? You may land on it. Everybody needs to have esteem in their life. And then, and then, there were, and then when you got to number five, there were, there were uh, other, they're newer to the list after 1943. I'm going somewhere, so just hang on. The, the fifth one was cognitive needs. Cognitive needs. It's the need to know. It's the need to understand. Now you're moving towards meaning. And you need to know, God, why? Why, why, am, I, why am I here? Why did I go through all this? What's, what's really going on in my... It's the need for knowledge and meaning and understanding. The next one, new to the list, is aesthetic. It's the need for beauty. It's the, it's the, it's the appreciation and desire. All right, I appreciate the cave that we have that keeps us warm, but I'd like to paint it, you know, something nice and put shiplap on the doors and, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I want to I I make it beautiful. And then Maslow, I'm almost done. Maslow says, the, this is the last on the hierarchy of needs according to Maslow, and this is where he stopped, was what he called self-actualization. Self-actualization. He thought this was the highest need in the hierarchy of needs in humankind. He said it's where you realize your personal potential, that that you, you know, it's, it's when you peek out. You know what I mean? It's when, come on, it's when you played football in high school and you keep remembering those days. You know what I mean? When you had two good knees. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you, you just, you hearken back to those. Man, that was, that was where it was. That was the, man, I was at the top of my game right then. And that's, this is it. I'm living my best self-actualization. I'm living my best life. I'm self-fulfilled. And he said that was the meaning of life. The truth of the matter is it's not the meaning of life. Because college ended and you got fat and your knees went out. Right? And now the thing that gave you meaning can't give you meaning anymore. So psychologists added a seventh. This is it. The highest form of meaning and finding a need in your life is what psychologists now call, write this down, transcendence. 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 It's the greatest need in a person's life. It's the ultimate life that you live. And psychologists would say transcendence is where your life lives beyond your life. The Bible would say it's when you finally live for others. That for six needs you have met your own stuff. I need shelter. I need warmth. I need food. I need beauty. I need safety. I need compliments. I need esteem. I need stuff. I need recognition. I need things around me. I need all of that. I need, I need, I need. But when you get to transcendence, you realize all of that stuff took care of me, but I wasn't created just to take care of me. Transcendence said, what did I do with my life for others? The Bible word for that is fulfillment. It's fulfillment. It's where you lay your head down at night and you realize it doesn't matter how much I've got. If I'm not making a difference with, in my life for others, then it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Real joy doesn't come from making a lot of money. I've met people who have a lot of money in their lives and no peace in their hearts. Real joy doesn't come from having a lot of pleasure. I've met people addicted to adrenaline and constantly chasing the next high and constantly looking for joy and it doesn't ever really fill them up. Real joy doesn't come from things or trucks or ranches or safety or experiences or travel 
or anything else. Real joy comes from knowing my life is bigger than my life. That my life is designed by God to make a difference. Write it down like this. Ultimate fulfillment. Ultimate fulfillment comes when you're a part of a family. A group of people. I told you you can't do it by yourself. You're a part of a family. You make a difference. Because when you're part of a family that makes a difference, God says, I'll show up. I'll be on your side. God says, then you'll know that I'm your God. I'll take you as my own people and put you together with another group of people who are making a difference with their lives. And when you get to that, you'll realize, man, I don't have everything that I needed on those other stuff. I don't have the house I wish I had. I don't have the job I wish I had. I don't have enough money that I wish I had. I don't have all that other stuff. But I go to bed at night happy and fulfilled. And when I close my eyes, I realize my life was bigger than this life that I made a difference. Ultimate fulfillment comes from that. So I want to teach you on the last two cups on the table. The cup of redemption and the cup of praise. I want to teach you how to drink from the cup of redemption and the cup of praise. Here's the first thing you got to know. You have a gift from God. Now I know your husband thinks it's him. It is not. It's not. We're pretty, Jeff, but we're not a gift from God, all right? I know your children think it's them. Come on, somebody. Those little selfish son of a guns. Those little guys think they are just, the whole world revolves around them. We have a preteen we're trying to convince that the whole world does not actually revolve around you. And in a couple of years, you're going to (laughs) leave. I hope. No, I don't. That's my little girl. My little boy's going to (laughs) leave. You got a gift. God gave you a gift. God put a gift on the inside. You may have never heard somebody tell you, look at me. You may have never heard a a preacher or or an authority figure or someone. You may have never heard a spiritual authority look you in the eyes and tell you without, without any other caveat, you've got a gift from God. God put something on the inside of you that's only yours. I grew up in a very legalistic religious tradition, and I remember my pastor one time pointing his finger at me and saying, If you don't do it, God will send somebody who will. Look, I know what he meant now. I don't know why he's so mad about it, but I know what he meant. I know he meant that God's purpose are going to be fulfilled. And he's he's right, and that's true. But listen to me. There's some stuff that only you can do. Somebody else may sit in your seat, but nobody will fill your place in the kingdom. Somebody else may take your spot. Nobody takes your place. Because you've got a gift that only you have. I'll show it to you in the Bible, Romans 12 and 6. The Bible says we all have, we all have, we have different gifts according to the, everybody shout grace, shout grace. That is not saving grace, different word. In the Greek, this word grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It literally means a gift from God. It's divine enablement. Another word would be an anointing or a calling from God. It's a grace gift that's been given to you. And you're the only one with that grace. You're the only one with that charis, that gift from God. Other people may have other gifts that look like yours, but they're not uniquely yours. 
Other people may be able to do what you can do, but they can't do like you can do. Because God gave you a unique gift. And God said, when you decide that you got a gift, I want you to do something with it. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly go to God and say, God, what's this spiritual gift you have from me? What do you want me to do with my life? I'm trying to find fulfillment in my life. I'm trying to lay my head down and know that I made a difference. I'm trying to find, I'm chasing this elusive thing called fulfillment, satisfaction, where I may not have all the other stuff on Maslow's needs, but I know my life matters, and I know I made a difference. So what do you do, and how do you develop? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you three things just because you expect them. So here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes. you got to discover your gift. you got to discover your gift. you got to discover it. Nobody's going to tell you. People meet with me all the time and say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Not my job. I can't tell you what that is. I can help you discover it. I can help you unearth some stuff in your life. I can help you. Maybe that's what you need somebody to do. But at some point, you're going to have to discover it. It's not something somebody tells you. It's something you're going to have to do the hard work and go, Okay, God, why me? Why this? Why was I designed this way? The best way to discover it is in your design, your makeup. God had something for you to do before He ever created you. Let me tell you that again. Before God ever put you on this planet, He had a calling. Let me say it like this. He had a gift He assigned you. He didn't have you and assigned you a gift. He had a gift in mind and said, I'm going to partner that gift with that person. I'll show it to you in God's Word. Psalms 139 and 13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Then he said, You made me wonderfully complex. All the men shout amen to that. (laughs) You made me wonderfully complex. and Your workmanship is... Marvelous how well I know it. I like to say it this way. Write this down. Your design reveals your destiny. Your design reveals your destiny. How God knit you together. How God created you. Your personality traits. Your gifts. Your, all the introverts. Where's all my introverts at? You can't even raise your hands. Where's all the extroverts? Where the, yeah, hollering. I knew one of you would holler, yeah. Cowboy hat wearing, yee-hawing kind of folks, you know. Life of the party. Look at me. You weren't just by chance that. God gave you that. God created you with those gifts and talents. Where's all my nerds at? That You love nothing more than an Excel spreadsheet. Where are you at? Engineers, unite. Come on. Keep your hands up so we know who to beat up in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> One of them said, bring it. Come on. Where's all my free spirits? Where are you just, whatever, the artists. Where's all my artists at? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, y'all dress funny. You're easy to find, too. (laughs) This matches, doesn't it? (laughs) That's what artists always say. Didn't have time to iron it, mama. Just got to go. You were created that way. You didn't just happen on those gifts. God gave you those gifts you got to discover the experiences of your life. You didn't just happen through a failed marriage. 
It was an experience God can use. You didn't just happen through infertility. It's an experience God can use. God knew you before He ever created you, planned your life. Not one day, Psalms 139 says, not one day of your life ever will be that isn't already written in His book in heaven. There's a big library somewhere in heaven, and on the spine of that book is written your name. And every experience you've ever walked through, good, bad, ugly, is written in His book. You just got to discover, God, why? What's this? Once you get saved and sanctified, once God redeems you, you get born again. Then you go, okay, God, you didn't just design me this way so I would be an accountant. You designed me this way so I would be an accountant, but I got to build the kingdom now. God, you didn't just design me this way so I would be an entrepreneur, all the business owners in the room. You didn't just give me that entrepreneurial spirit just so I could start companies and, 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 and build businesses. No, you gave it to me because I'm supposed to do something with this. I'm supposed to be in a family of difference makers and use the gifts that you gave me to make a difference. God, what, what are you doing with all of it? you got to embrace the design. Well, how do I do that? Well, I would go back to the designer. I think the reason you're frustrated in your life right now is because you're trying to decide what your purpose is outside of God. Now, if you're 18, 17, 18, 19, I'm not telling you don't go to college. Go to college. If your mama says you got to go, you got to go, okay? Don't take out bad student loans. Then expect me to pay for them. Don't go, go to college. Anyway, stop, 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 stop. Go to college. But look at me. Don't go to college thinking you're going to find your purpose for life. When you get out of college, get a job. I'm helping all of you parents right now. When you get out of college, get a J-O-B somewhere. Find somewhere that says now hiring. $23 an hour to flip burgers or whatever they're paying right now. Get you a job. But you're not going to find purpose in your job. You're not going to find purpose at college, your job, high school. You get married. You're not going to find purpose in her. You're not going to find purpose in him. Have kids. You're not going to find purpose in that. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians 1 and 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ, long before we got our hopes up, listen to me, He had His eye on you. Long before you ever chose Him, He chose you. Long before, and you got to go back to God because God had designs on us for glorious living. What is it, God? i got a purpose for you. It's, it's part of the overall purpose. He's working in everything and everyone. In other words, you got to get together with other people. But you can't find your purpose outside of anything. It's in Christ that we find you got to discover your gift. Number two, write this down. you got to develop your gift. you got to develop your gift. I think one of the best things I can offer you as your pastor. I honestly think it's one of the callings of our church. I think it's one of the gifts that that our church has on it is to help you. I think it's our job to develop you, develop you as a leader. It's why nights like Wednesday night are so important. We're going to have fun games for our teams, and we'll have some giveaways, and we'll worship and do all that, but I'm going to pour leadership into you. Why? Because it's my job to develop you. If you're a business owner, let me stop right here. If you're a father, if you're a husband, if you're a mother, if you're a supervisor, if you're a manager, if you have leadership at all in any area of your life, it is your job to be a developer. How am I developing the gift of God in the people God's given me? 
How am I developing my own gift? I, I tell my staff, I teach our staff, you have to become a self-feeder. you got to learn how to develop yourself. you got to learn how to develop the gift that God put on the inside of you. And we build this church, listen, not around the gifts and talents of a few people. We build this church around you developing the gifts God gave you. Somebody asked me one time, Jordan, why don't we have fill in the blank? Why don't we have a ministry for fill in the blank? Pastor, are y'all ever going to start a ministry for fill in the blank? And it didn't take me but a couple of Sundays before I started to reply what I really believe. (laughs) I looked him right in the eye and said, yeah, we're just waiting on you. We're just waiting on someone with that, that charis, that grace gift on them. Do you want a prison ministry? You bet I do. As a matter of fact, one of our kingdom building partners is God Behind Bars and Mike Barber Ministries. We Just this past week, they were at a giant tent that they set up inside of a state correctional facility. And over 900 prisoners gave their lives to Jesus in one crusade this past week. But I want to do that locally. I want chaplains in all of our jails and all of our prisons and the San Antonio Police Department in the last six months, six officers have committed suicide. It's an epidemic. It's a darkness in our city. I want chaplains and people called to this. But it's not my job to start all the ministries. There's a gift on you. There's a calling on the inside of you. There's something God has given you to do. Develop your gift. Ephesians 4 and 7 says, But to each one of us, Grace has been given. That same grace is the same word that he used earlier. It's that charis, that grace gift. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ gave it to us. So Christ himself, give me this verse on the screen. So Christ himself, verse 12, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now stop, look into my eyes. If you want to know what our church, how we arrange our ministry, if you want to know what we, we're an Ephesians church, by the way. Specifically, we're an Ephesians 4 kind of church. I don't believe it's my job as your pastor. I'm your shepherd. It's my job to open God's word. It's my job to cast vision to you, preach the word of God to you. But after that, I have one other calling. As a matter of fact, I think this is the highest calling of my life. I don't think my highest calling is marrying y'all. I'd love to do that. I enjoy it. My highest calling is not hospitals and funerals. I'm, I'm thankful for the times I get to be around your life. But my highest calling as a pastor isn't teaching, preaching, discipling. My highest calling as a pastor is not starting ministries, visiting the sick, showing up in a suit, and dedicating buildings. I love to do all of that. I do all of that. Call me to do it for you, okay? But my highest calling, the reason Jesus called me, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is to equip his people to do what God called you to do. My staff, we don't hire people to do ministry here. We hire people to equip you to do ministry. We hire, we we staff positions not so that things can get done, but so that people can be equipped. I want you to I want you to find that gift that God gave you, and then I want you to develop it. I'd love to help you do that. Matter of fact, this Wednesday night's a great opportunity, a team night. If you've been kicking the tires for a while, thinking about making this our church home, we have an event called Welcome Home that happens this Wednesday night. 
We'll give you all the details to do what we call the growth track. It's really just it's an online set of classes that I've recorded just for you to help you discover the gift that God's put inside of you. I'm constantly developing you. If you don't like a high development culture, you're not going to like this church. I'm being honest. Because I want you to constantly develop the gift God gave you. Because i got to equip you. Why, Pastor? Why do you push so hard? Why is it so important? Because you have a calling. And I don't want to stand at your casket and think, they didn't do everything God called them to do. I don't want you to get at your deathbed and your family call me. And the whisper confession of your deathbed is, I wish I would have done that. I want to go to, I want to, go to heaven tired. Are you with me, everybody? <laughs> we have an epidemic of, come play so they think I'm closing. I'm not, but I just want them to play. We have an epidemic of tired and exhaustion. I think it's a plan of the enemy, by the way, to make you tired all the time and exhausted that you won't do what God's called you to do. But I want to go to heaven tired. Thomas, I want to go to heaven tired. I don't want to, I don't want to stand before Jesus and have reserve energy in the tank. Are you with me? I don't want to stand before Jesus and have reserve money in the bank. I tell our trustees, our Board of Trustees that helps us budget and oversee all of our finances. And we have high, high accountability in our church. But they know. They know. We're not going to go to heaven with a whole lot of money stored up. We're going to store it up. People are going to be generous. And then we're going to give it and build and give it and build. Send missionaries and build churches and plant churches. Why? Because I'm not going to go to heaven with a savings account. I'm going to go to heaven empty and say, God, I did everything I'm supposed to do. I built the kingdom. So you discover it, you develop your gift. Here's the third one. Write this down, then I'll pray for you. You got to do something with it. You got to use your gift. You got to use the gift God gave you. In case you're asking, this is your purpose. You came to church today thinking, man, I wish, I hope, I hope somebody tells me what to do with my life. Look at me. Use your gift. Use your gift not just to build you, use it to build the kingdom. Use it to make a difference in the lives of others. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says, God has given gifts to each of you from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Now you have a responsibility. Manage them well. That's in your Bible. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Manage them well so that God can do what only God can do through you. God says, when I redeem you, I'll take you as my own people, and then I'll show up and be your God. Then I'll take care of revival. and the na- Pastor, what are we going to do about our nation? We're going to pray, and we're going to get on mission. Pastor, what are we going to do about our schools? We're going to pray, and then we're going to get on mission. Pastor, what are we going to do about our university campuses? We're going to pray, and then we're going to get on mission making a difference. I'm not just going to complain about the problems. I'm going to be a part of the solution, bringing hope and help and life in Jesus' name. you got to use the gift God gave you. you got to manage your gift well. I'm just telling you, I've read in this book, I've read enough stories in this book, when the master comes back, he's expecting a return on his investment. The parable of the talents, I don't expect you to bury it and give it back to me. I expect you to use it. Multiply it. Reach people with it. Do something with it. God designed you that way. And when you do, 
when you do, you're worshiping Jesus. Acts 20 and 24 says, My life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work God assigned me to do. That's the kind of life I want you to have. That's the kind of church I want to pastor. I want to pastor thousands of people. Lord, hear my prayer. I want to pastor people who aren't consumers and don't come just to take. No, I want to know what can I, I got to finish the work God gave me to do. I got to get on mission. I got to, I got to do something that makes a difference with people. Who, my purpose is serving God. I do it by serving other people. It's transcendence. It's fulfillment. Write it down like this and then I'll pray for you. I want you to make a difference. Write it down. I want to make a difference. This is the declaration I want you to have. I want to make a difference. Doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. You need to write that down on a post-it note. Put it on your computer at work. Put it on that desk in that cubicle. You think, surely God hadn't called me to this. Put it in that delivery truck when you're driving it tomorrow morning. Put it at that station on your floor as a nurse. Put it. Put it on your desk as a teacher. Just remember, God's called you to more. I want to make a difference. Doing something that makes a difference with a bunch of people who want to make a difference in their lives. And you need people. John Maxwell in his famed leadership book, 17 Laws of Indisputable Leadership, he calls it the law of Mount Everest. The law of Mount Everest. The law of Mount Everest says that as the challenge escalates, the need for team elevates. As the challenge escalates, the need for team elevates. Between 1920 and 1959, there were multiple attempts to scale Mount Everest. They were all attended by at least the same one person attended all of the attempts. And they asked him afterwards, yeah, until 1959, no one had, had scaled to the top. What do you think the biggest challenge is? And he said, unequivocally, it's trying to do it alone. It's trying to do it alone. As, as the challenge escalates, the need for team elevates. Now, my brothers and sisters, the challenge is escalating. The world needs us. This church needs you. Our ministries need you. Kids ministry, our worship team, our production team, broadcast team, parking team, refresh team. You know we have a whole team of people who clean up after y'all? You would know them. If I pointed them out to you, you would never know them. They come to this church after you long gone. You're at Sunday nap. Snoring away and they're cleaning bathrooms. Why? This is what I got. This is the gift I got. We'll use it for the kingdom. We'll use it to build God's house. We have a team of men who help maintenance on the building. You're handy. God didn't make you handy just so you could build dog houses. God, God made you handy so you could make a difference. We have a team in the parking lot. We have a team serving next generation. There needs to be 10 or 15 of you who say, God's calling me to reach babies and children and kids. The greatest calling of our church may not be anything we build. It may be somebody we raise up. You know that, right? You know after I'm long gone and gone to heaven, two or three generations from now, that may be the revival God called us. There may be somebody right now in our nursery who's a missionary to India. 
who builds churches across the Muslim world, who plants a life-giving church in an unchurched city in America, who transforms the world. Some of you are called to reach babies and children. We've got a gift for you. I want you to use your gift. When you leave today, our team's going to be in the lobby, and I want to give you a chance to use your gift. If that's you, and you're not, not a hard sell, I'll just, I'm going to tell you one thing. I'd love for you to use it here. If you're not on a team of people who are making a difference, get on a team of people. Maybe it's the gift of generosity. Romans 12 says that some have the spiritual gift of giving. Some people didn't realize that was a spiritual gift, but you have it. There's some people God has blessed you financially with resource such that you can be a blessing and accelerate the vision. We have a whole team of people here. We, we call it our legacy team. This year we transitioned it to our kingdom builders team. There are a whole team of people. We've had them for seven years, as a matter of fact. People who sow above and beyond their tithing. They don't just give the minimum of their tithing. They give above and beyond because God's blessed us with more. And they ask God, God, what's the more for? It's for making a difference. So they accelerate the vision. They help us move forward faster. Your tithing and generosity supports all of our ministries and all of our missions and all of our operations. But this group of people said, Hey, Pastor, what if we could do more? What would we do? So we give them a bunch of vision, and then we do more together. That's a whole team of people who are gifted. Maybe that's where God called you. I just want you to develop it. I want you to be here Wednesday night. I want you to get on a team. I want you to discover how God designed you, and then I want you to get to using it. Here's what my hope and prayer for you is, is that when you lay your head down at night, you may not have the house you wanted, salary you desired the the relationship may not be what you thought it could be career may not be where you thought it was but you know your life made a difference it's transcendence it's that my life did something beyond this life that's my prayer would you bow your heads all over the house heavenly father I pray for people in church today who are searching for meaning and purpose God, I recognize there are people in the room today with various gifts, spiritual gifts given to them by God, a grace gift on their life, gift of administration, gift of meeting new people, connecting people, gift of high-fiving, loving guests, gift of reach the next generation of students, middle schoolers, high schoolers, a gift to bring out the best in men's ministry, women's ministry, a gift to give and serve, a gift to show up early and set up, and a gift to just care for our dream team and make coffee and provide a hospitable environment. There's a grace gift on everybody in church. Father, I pray today we'd find something bigger than ourselves. We discover that gift on the inside of us. Develop it. Help us to grow it. Manage it well. And I pray for people to use that gift today to make a difference. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout a big amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, We're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. 
And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.